You guys, confession time. I just ate a bowl of Lay's potato chips at 11.30 at night. Okay, it was salt and vinegar. I was feeling a little naughty. Anyways, I finished the bowl, and then I cursed myself for having the bowl, and then I went back to the kitchen for seconds. Oh yeah, classy gal. Yeah, not feeling too good about it, but it is what it is. That's, uh, I, I... I, I gotta fill I gotta fill the hole with something. I gotta fill and by hole I mean my mouth. Plus there's a void in my life. So second hole. Two holes. Yeah, it's uh ever ever since the booze. Ever since the booze and uh, the Siggies have left the equation. I, I need a vice. Everybody needs a vice. I'd like to be one of those potential uh, the, those those pretentious artists who says, Well, my vice is creating, man. I like to sit in front of a microphone and just create free flow of thought, dude. I'm the man. But that's not me. Right now, I like I I sometimes like to eat Popeyes on a Sunday night or morning at 2 a.m. Sue me. But I had those chips. I can and then I had to then I had some broccoli after. Just to make myself feel better. Just to make myself feel less dirty. Ugh. And with the chips, I also had Coke Zero. Because, you know, I, I want to be naughty, but I want to be like... I want to be like semi-naughty. I want to be like PG-13 naughty. That's what I feel, okay? If it was just the chips, if it was just greasy salt and vinegar chips, I would have felt like porno. Like hardcore gonzo-style porno naughty. But I had some Coke Zero, zero sugar. You know, I'm feeling scantily clad at most. I've had prouder moments, I will say. The chips were good being eaten. They were, they were good going down. I've had prouder moments. Graduating from high school, getting my college diploma, drinking my first whole beer bottle out of a beer bong. It was uh, 2010, I believe June 2010. My friend Anthony brought his beer bong to a backyard party. It was the end of the school year. Everybody was arriving from their freshman year of college. We were ready to let loose. And he brought his, excuse me, he brought his beer bong. It was called the Demon, nicknamed. And I had about seven whole beer bottles out of that beer bong that night. And uh, I could hold my own. There's people from Germanic tribes who would look at me and go, kid goes hard. I certainly do. <sighs> yeah. Anyways, happy February, everybody. Happy first of the month. It's the first of the month. I paid my rent today. I was supposed to pay it this weekend, but the banks were closed. They're doing this thing right now in my neighborhood. I don't know if it's with everybody, but the banks are closed right now. On weekends, they used to be open Saturdays, closed Sundays, and for a time during the pandemic, they were still open Saturdays. Now they're just closed the whole weekend, and it's driving me crazy because I, I, I had to work today, and I had to stop everything that I was doing and head over to the bank before it closed. I had to line up, wait to speak to the teller, withdraw cash, and feed the machine. It's what it is.
I don't know. I'm getting tired of being an adult. Getting tired of doing it. Getting tired of paying rent. I just want to go home. I just want to... Just go home and harass my parents. And just sit there and just make them cook for me. Pay no rent. Just be an entitled millennial the way I feel I was destined to. No, uh, for real though, I am getting a little sick of the city. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. I'm getting tired. Of, you know, I, I like being part of the city. I like being, I like the ambiance. This is the first time in my life that I've actually been using the word ambiance. Because when I was a suburbanite, ambiance didn't exist. I grew up in a glorified fucking mall. Everything was plastic. Everything felt plastic. I'm not about to recite a poem, but it's what it was. Everything felt fake. And now I'm here, and I get to use fancy words like ambiance to describe everything. I can hear the subway at night going by my house. That's ambiance. I don't know the full meaning of ambiance. Maybe somebody will correct me. But for now, this is what I got. But I'm getting a little sick of the city. I, 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 I generally enjoy city life. I mean, I love New York. Toronto, ugh, I don't know. And I, like, again, I'm, I'm from here. My parents are from here. I wasn't one of these people who was born in Rabs. I was, we lived here when I was very little, and then we moved out to the suburbs. But the people who were born and raised here, they're, they're developing an attitude and a personality that they're not exactly entitled to have. You know, I'm meeting a lot of people from the city, spent their entire lives here, getting a little annoyed. Toronto's not that amazing, okay? It's not that great. I hate to say it's just how I feel. And I live here. I'm a taxpayer. I can speak my mind. You're lucky I'm not standing in the middle of the park with a soapbox and a megaphone criticizing every famous Toronto establishment. Honest Ed's fucking blue. Blue. Imagine if I said that to a group of people. It's not even there anymore. It's like I'm shitting on the dead. Anyways. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of the city. And again, like, there's a lot of Toronto people that I hear. They, they've adopted almost this New York-type attitude. You know, like New Yorkers will go, yeah, like it's, it's here in the greatest city in the fucking world. Okay, you can, get, you can get yourself a hero sandwich at 3 in the morning if you really know the right spots to go. That kind of shit. And there's Toronto people who are getting that way. You'll hear them go, yeah, there's Toronto and then there's the rest of the world, bro. I'm like, I just bought a hot dog for $25. You ain't all that. Plus our skyline looks like Lego. Fight me. I will have a sparring match with somebody. I haven't had any human contact in almost three months. Seriously, I'll give you my address and uh, we'll we'll do the we'll do the sparring. Come on, no gloves, no gloves. I just want to touch someone. Yeah, I don't know. I like the neighborhood that I'm in. It's very diverse. I I will I will give it up for my neighborhood. It's very quiet. It's in the West Side, West End. By the subway. I'm not gonna tell you the exact place. Okay. If you want my email, if you want, if you want my address, just email me. Okay. D hit slide into the DMs. 
But I like my neighborhoods. It's it's diverse. I got Indian restaurants. I got Korean restaurants that I've never been in. I just like I like to look at them. I like to feel good. I like to feel good. I like to be. I like to walk by them, stand there for two seconds, and go. I'm I'm a cultured person. I'm see. This is. I'm gonna go lecture somebody about. About about uh, ethnic diversity. I'm gonna I'm gonna just talk to them. I'm gonna give them a speech about open borders and let, let's just get let's get it going. I, I feel good about myself. That's the that's the aesthetic I want. No, I do go to these places and they're very good. Uh, there's a Greek restaurant. Haven't been to the Greek restaurant. Again, like the look of it. Korean restaurant, very good. The Indian restaurant, I finally did go into that place and it is it is delicious. I ordered in, I ordered from it. I didn't sit down because you can't, but I ordered from it. It was very good. But the Greek restaurant, haven't tried it. I've I've tried Greek food. I've never sat down at an actual Greek place. I've had the tzatziki sauce. I've had the uh what do you call it? The the weird shish kebab thing. Not okay, excuse me. I know it's I know it's a sacred dish. I've had the Greek pita bread, the Greek fajita, whatever, whatever it's called. Okay, guys, I'm trying. What is Greek Twitter going to get at me? I can just see the silhouette of just some hairy-ass arms typing away in a laptop. Like, my name's Taki, and I don't like what you said, bro. Come at me. Again, sparring match. Let's go. No, I think Taki's a Greek name. I, I saw my big fat Greek wedding. Wonderful picture. And there's a guy named Taki in it. It was just the first name that came to mind. What, do you want me to go Hercules? Uh, by the way, my name's Alexander. That's my full name. Okay, that's that's an that's about as Greek as it gets. I'm entitled to make a joke or two. This is my namesake. It's what it is. Yeah. I don't know. I'll be here for it later. <laughs> I'm actually speaking like I'm in a position currently where I can just up and leave and go where I want to go. I'm gonna be here for the next couple of years. That's the long haul to me. It is what it is. No, I like my apartment. I like my studio. I like, you know, my... my I like the ambiance. I don't know. The anxiety's been coming on to me hard lately, guys. I don't really know what to do about it. It is what it is. I, I don't know. Since I quit smoking, since I, I, I quit the drinking, since I quit the partying in general, I haven't really been out doing anything. I've... I've the, the anxiety's been happening less. My blood pressure is not as up because I'm not smoking as much. The drinking didn't help that either. But again, when when the anxiety does hit, it fucking hits. It's like a it's like a, a being sucker punched. And I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but it, it's it's for those of you who who've dealt with it, but yeah, it just it gets to me and I'm just dwelling on things. You know how you always just kind of there's just a Something you haven't thought of in years, and it's probably something you're overthinking, but it just sits there. It's like a seat that's being occupied, and when the seat empties, another thought occupies it. It just never, and it just, the chair never goes away. The seat never goes, it always has to be occupied by something. Again, I'm not good with the analogies. It's what it is. And I, again, like, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I'll be the first one to say it. I never really cared about mental health or mental illness until it started affecting me. I don't know if that's a popular thing to say. I don't know if, if people are going to call me a dick for it. But it's like one of those things, it's it's never a problem until it gets to you specifically. 
before I, I, I had my first real bout of anxiety when I was about 26, t- t- turning 27. I was just leaving school. And I started having these panic attacks out of nowhere. I like I would have them in the middle of class where I couldn't stay seated. I had to go out in the hall and pace around. I had to make phone calls just to, to hear somebody. I was a wreck. And it turned out that, yeah, that, that I was developing anxiety. I was, I was getting it. And it was because I was leaving school and I had just been hired for my first writing job. And I was just, it was coming on to me hard. And I, I remember going through all of this and feeling shitty and embarrassed because I was experiencing something that my friends had been talking about for the longest time and that I never took seriously. Like I had friends who would come to me, not come to like pull me aside and speak to me specifically, but they would mention in passing as we were having cigarettes. Look, I, yeah, I have anxiety. I've been feeling it hard lately. And I would just write it off. I would always, you know, just be thinking, eh, this guy's a pussy. I would laugh at them almost. I would laugh at them like, oh, come on, man. What do you got to worry about? And then it hit me. And I'm in the same boat as them. And I'm trying to talk and confide in other people. Yeah, and I, I felt shitty. I started becoming more empathetic. I'm, I'm like a flawed film character, everybody. I don't know if that's just me being delusional, thinking that I'm the star of my own movie. Again, sparring match. Let's go. And I don't know, I've been trying to figure out why exactly I was, I, I lacked such empathy for people who had mental health problems, for, for people who, whether it was anxiety, depression, whatever else was going on in their lives, why I just didn't care. And I think I, I realize it. Number one, I'm, I'm a spo- I was a spoiled millennial. But number two, I was raised by tougher people. I think all of us, people my age in particular, we were raised by people who were tough. I mean, my parents were... At the very end of the baby boom, they weren't the hippie people. They weren't the people who were showing up at Woodstock and Aldemont. They weren't doing acid. They were on the tail end of the acid generation. It's like me being on the tail end of, or graduating, on the tail end or, or the, the, the beginning of the social media boom. My parents were on the butt end of the acid generation. And they grew up with, they had some tough people who they were raised by. My grandparents grew up during the Depression. They were children of war. My grandfather on my mother's side was the son of German immigrants. You can imagine how that was during World War II. He was probably kicked in the balls every day, called all sorts of naughty names just because of where his his parents were born. And his parents had nothing to do with what was happening over there. My grandparents were, my grandfathers were a little too young to fight in World War II. My mom's dad was eligible to go over, or was becoming eligible to go over just as the war was ending. So he, he missed it, and he was lucky. But these were, these were still turbulent times, and shit was going down. This is how hard my grandparents were, okay? And this is just an understanding as to why, why I think I am the way I am. And why I don't empathize as much. I remember when I was a kid, my grandparents would stay with us in this complex we lived in. When we first moved out to the suburbs from the city, we lived in this uh, condo complex. It was tiny, it was insulated, and kids would fight each other notoriously. I'm kind of surprised looking back that there weren't parents looking from the porches, all betting money with each other. 
as their kids would just start gut-punching each other on the lawn. They're on opposite ends of the, the back area, just waving 20s at each other from their respective seats. Yeah, I got to... I mean, my son's a foot taller. Yeah, but my son's got the girth, man. He's, he's a bigger kid. And they're just <laughs> watching gladiatorial fights go down. No, but kids would fight each other all the time. I, I got in fights even, and I was never a violent kid. I'm, I'm trying to see. I, that kind of bothers me that I said gladiatorial. Is that an actual fucking word? Give me a second. I am a idiot. Gladiatorial, relating to gladi. Okay, I am. I'm, okay, I've, I've reaffirmed to myself that I am actually slightly intelligent. Now, let, let me just see if reaffirmed. Make sure. I always say these big words thinking that they, they, they sound good. Reaffirm. Okay, I'm good. State again as a fact. Assert against strong. Ah, but I didn't really assert anything. I didn't assert that I was smart. Okay, I reassured myself that I am a smarter person. Okay, so I'm once again secure for the next 20 minutes until I do something else dumb. <sighs> Anyways, I would get in fights every now and then with these kids. I would get in gladiatorial type fights with other children, and I'd be eight or nine. And I never really asked for it, but I had to stick up for myself. There were kids who were, who were from broken homes. They were from low-income families. And I, I eventually had to haul off and, and do some dirty work. I never really won a fight. There was never really a winner. It was kind of neutral. It was just two idiots going at each other a lot of the time. But anyways, back to how tough my grandparents were. I remember I was in this one fight with this kid at a playground that we were at. And yes, we had a playground in the complex. The rest of you vagrants had to walk 10, 15 minutes by yourselves because nobody, you had no guardian to the, to the actual public park. We had a park in the complex. We were monsters, but we were slightly classy and above average monsters. But I was fighting these kids, and this was the dead of winter. We were just having an argument, something like that, and we just started going at each other. And this kid put me in a headlock and brought me down onto the ground. And my parents, my grandparents were staying with us that weekend, and they were walking to their car while we were fighting. Didn't bat an eye. Both my grandfather, my German grandfather and my Irish grandmother were walking to the car. They were like headed to Costco somewhere. Didn't care that we were rolling around. He said getting into the car, he's just like, Alex, we're going to Costco. Okay, granddad, I'm just rolling around. Do you want pizza rolls? I can't really talk right now. This guy's got his fist down my throat. Okay, well, we'll get you some pizza rolls and uh, possibly... Yeah, okay, just just be lucky. I'm, you, know, you know what? No, we're just sticking with the pizza rolls, nothing else. I only got a 20. And they got in the car and drove away. They didn't give a shit that I was in a death match. I could have been yelling, help, knife, knife. And nothing. So yeah, that's how tough they were. And I think that's why, because those people were so apathetic to things that were happening around them. I said apathetic. I believe I used it correctly. Because they were that way. I think that that's why 
You know, like people who are that tough, who don't care that their grandchild is in a fight with other kids, start talking to them about anxiety. Start talking to them about your depression. It would go through one ear and out the other. Anxiety, what, what do you mean? You worry a little bit? My brother was shot out in a foxhole in 1944. He had a mortar round stuck up his ass. And those were just the guys on his side. Why'd they stick a mortar round up his ass? It was World War II. We don't ask questions. It was a tough time. And those are the people. So those people raised my parents and my parents raised me. So it was just that that type of, of apathy towards things like mental, it, it's, it's, it's inherited. And it's like, this is a fairly new thing, this conversation that we're having about anxiety and everybody's sharing their shit. It's what it is. It's just, it's people, we're just learning as we go. It's like, we, we've been the people, who, there's no instruction manual for mental health. We just kind of have to figure it all out. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to empathize. And I think I am. But the mental health conversation is complex. It's not just the people who are mentally ill. There's people living with these people who a lot of the time are also suffering their own battles. And it's, and it's, there's so many moving pieces. It's not just the stigmatized mentally ill person. It's their family who are having problems. And a lot of the time, and yes, mentally ill people deserve help. And they, they, they need to get it. I think society is a little better if we're having an open conversation. But there's so much more to it. I'm not going to get into a whole thing about it, but it, it is what it is. And it's not, just, it's not just anxiety, depression. It's a lot of other mental illnesses that I've maybe not experienced firsthand, but I've witnessed. I've witnessed friends with them. Pathological lying is one of them. Or, or, or uh, compulsive lying. I, I don't know the difference exactly. I don't know if they're the same thing, but just lying just on impulse. Just people who just, their entire life is a fabrication. I've seen that, and it's sad, especially if you're part of the lie. And it, it's fucking scary when somebody is just making up a story that you're involved in. Very unsettling, very uncomfortable. Perhaps the creepiest example of pathological lying that I've ever seen in my life, it wasn't with a friend, it was with a guy that I worked for, that I worked under. He wasn't necessarily my boss, but he was a guy that I, he trained me. I used to work, when I was 22, I worked at a hole-in-the-wall bar in the back of the kitchen that happened to be frequented by bikers. It was not a biker hangout. It was not a biker bar. It was just a place that a few of them, they, they kind of mixed in with the other people. It was in a shady part of town. And what I, I, I didn't realize for the longest time, because the bikers, they would never bring their bikes there because it would attract police. I learned that after a while. I didn't realize that bikers... They drove and operated other vehicles other than motorcycles. I thought when you're, about, you're attached to your motorcycle for the rest of your life, you can't get off of it. But no, there's just guys with, you know, they, they, they carry switchblades. They have crests on their back, and they're just driving a Prius. It's a pretty simple life. It's like, you know, bikers, they're, they're like Mounties. You know, Mounties, they only dress in like the funny hat and the, and the red suit. 
when they're at like a ceremony. They, they, they dress like regular people when they're on the job and when they dress all fancy when they're doing a ceremony, when they're like busting a meth lab that happens to be run probably by bikers. <laughs> so, but uh, I worked at this place. It was really shady. I didn't know it was a biker bar until I started working there. Okay. I'm not this, I'm not a guy, but I, I, I had to please them. Okay. I had not in that way for food, but I, I had to be extra careful. I'd be making grilled cheese for a guy with a machete scar on his throat. And you know, you better do that grilled cheese, right? Okay. You can't overcook it. You can't undercook. It. You got to keep it. Got to keep the cheddar relaxed, nice and smooth, easy to bite into, tender, right. Anyways, uh, there was a guy that I worked under. I was cooking. I had to pause for a second because I had, had to <laughs> I had to check something out. Uh, I had to go to the bathroom very quickly. Uh, <laughs> uh, where was I? Yeah, so I was cooking in the back of this biker bar. I was making pizzas. I was making, you know, lemon-lime fucking chicken wings for, you know, uh, an ex-convict who blew up a church, whatever the fuck it was. And I would be worried. The guy that I worked for, he was a full-blown alcoholic. They had, they had hired him to manage the kitchen, and he was a full-blown drinker. He had his issues. He looked like a weather dude who had been through some shite. Really over the top guy, and he was he was a shameless pathological liar every day, but, but he would just drink constantly in the back of the kitchen. That's what always got. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It was highly illegal, and I needed the cash. I needed the extra dollars, so I turned a blind eye. I didn't, you know, just as long as I could leave without him blowing the whole place up to smithereens. Like there was gas powered equipment in there, you know, that he could have left on. I had to make sure that everything was turned off at the end of the night, just in case, you know. He had fucked up with something or, you know, something had slipped his mind. Anyways, he was my boss. He was the guy who was teaching me, showing me the ropes. And I had worked in a couple kitchens before, but I was going to be alone by myself. So I needed to know what to do. And this was the guy who was supposed to teach me. So he'd be training me and he'd just be drinking Budweiser after Budweiser, tall boys in the back. And he would be telling the craziest stories I think I have ever heard. One after another. Like he would finish talking to me. We'd be in the kitchen working, cooking food. It would be busy. He'd have the radio blaring. And he just he he had just finished telling me a story about how he was in a biker gang and he changed his ways when he went to jail. He had been shot in the shoulder. He had been stabbed a couple times. He was in knife fights. His whole life was the movie Roadhouse. And he would be telling me these stories, and then he would just go right into another story, a, a different fucking tale. He would just he would he would he would finish the biker story, and then a, a glam rock song from the '80s would start playing on the radio. He would take another swig of his Budweiser can and just go, "You know, I was once a roadie for Motley Crue." And I'm staring at Mo Rody for Motley Crue. Hang on, what? For, hang on. First, you're a biker. Now you're a you're like Forrest Gump. You're like you're like Forrest Gump if he specialized in making cheeseburgers. It was, you know, instead of sh shrimp cheeseburgers. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. It just didn't add up to me. I'm like, hang on. So you're a convicted felon. You said you went to jail for being in your biker crew, and then you were a rote. Like what happened? You're not that old, dude. 
How can you leave you? Uh, from my understanding, you can't leave the country as a convicted felon. How exactly did you tour the globe with the world's most notorious band? Molly Crew was pretty hardcore in the back, back of the day. But I, I, I was questioning it. I didn't, I didn't say this out loud because I didn't want to come off argumentative and start shit with the guy again. We were in a back room where there was knives and fire. But I, I was always wondering, I'm like, how, how, how are you a roadie and an ex-con? Were you pardoned? Were you that good as a roadie? Did you, did you hold the Guinness World Record for the fastest time on hooking a mic stand? Did you load up the 18-wheeler the quickest? Did you have all of Tommy Lee's Coke dealers on speed dial? What was it? Tell me your skills. I was intrigued. Anyways, uh, we eventually had a falling out. The, the reason I'm, I'm so comfortable kind of talking about this guy and laughing a little bit is because he was a dick to me. He was, he was pretty verbally abusive. I, I was 22, and he would say things like, fuck you, you're nothing when you're back here. I own you, you piece of shit. I think he was a little resentful because I told him I did stand-up comedy, and he thought like I was the shit for some reason. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm basically performing in places like this for audience members that have done worse than our customers. <laughs> and by worse, I mean skip down on their tab. <sighs> but, yeah. So there was that, and yeah, we, we eventually argued, and he let me go. I think I mouthed off to him or something like that, and I, I just couldn't take it anymore. He was a dick. But yeah, he fired me. <laughs> was what it was. That was my first time. And I swore to myself. I made a blood oath to myself. Cut both of my hands and uh, shook myself and said, I'm never working at another kitchen for the rest of my life. And uh, that's when I started working for my dad in the warehouse industry. Riding a forklift. Yeah, so, you know, I laugh at those stories of my boss being this pathological liar. And again, like, back to empathy. Uh, and a as the years went by, that was about seven years ago. As the years have gone by, I, I, I find it sad, you know, because I'm seeing friends of mine who are developing the same behavior. And they're exhibiting the same kind of characteristics where they'll just make up these stories. There was a guy I went to high school with for the long, you know, and I, I'd run into him and he'd tell some story about, yeah, I almost, uh, I almost crashed today. And I call, I'm like, you don't drive. Was it an imaginary Honda Civic? Yeah, it just, it makes me sad. Like, I'm not going to, you know, the whole thing. Oh, I'm 31 minutes in now. All right. Uh, anyways, guys. I've been rambling on. I hope I've been coherent. I never know. I never know. <laughs> I could just be some crazy guy in a room just babbling to myself. It's what it is. But I appreciate uh, you guys listening. If you made it all the way through, I don't know. Something's off podcast, Instagram. Follow me on Twitter, guys. Dakaris.